Uh, I want to bring a message to you this morning entitled, Consider Jesus. I really want to bring a message today that I think is going to be a catalyst for victory in the new year. I, I literally believe, and I'm not just trying to speak in hyperbole here or, you know, like pastors do sometimes, we, we uh, maybe think, you know, this message is going to be the message that changes the world. But I, but I literally believe that the message I'm preaching to you today could be the turning point or it could be the catalyst in your life for what could be a wonderful year or a not-so-wonderful year. And so I don't want to overstate that, but I believe that to be the case. Hebrews chapter 2, we're going to begin reading in verse number 14 and go down past into chapter 3. That may feel a little abnormal for us, but I want to remind you that the when the Scriptures were originally inspired, that the chapter verses and the breaks or the chapter breaks and the verse breaks were not placed there. This was a continual thought. And I really think chapter 2 very clearly connects to chapter 3. Hopefully you'll see that before we leave today. All right, Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 14. The Bible says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood. Let's time out right there just for a second. Who's he talking about the children? Well, this is written to the Hebrews. This is a book of the Bible written to the children of Israel. It's written to the the Israelites. And so immediately in the context, he's talking to the children of Israel. The children of Israel are a natural uh, people. They are a physical uh, people. But I think also in the greater context, it's talking about the children of men or humanity. The children are partakers of flesh and blood. Look what he says in verse 14. He also, this is referring to Jesus Christ, he also himself likewise took part of the same. That is, he took part of flesh and blood. Why did Jesus Christ take part in flesh and blood? Look what it says. That through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily, or we would say truly, he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Now again, hold your place because we're gonna finish this out. But think about what is being said in this verse. The writer of Hebrews wants the Hebrews to understand that Jesus Christ in his incarnation did not become just some kind of a spiritual being. He did not take on him the nature of angels. Um, He certainly did not cease to be God, but he became fully man. That's what the writer of Hebrews wants them to understand, that Jesus Christ, while fully God, became fully man. John chapter 1 tells us that the word that was in the beginning with God, the, the, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And he did that to defeat the enemy of death. Now look what he says here in the verse. He says, he took on him the seed of Abraham, wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people, for in that he himself hath suffered being tempted. I love this. He is able, Jesus is able to succor them that are tempted. Wherefore, and this is verse chapter 3, verse 1, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, watch this, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all of his house. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath builded the house hath more honor than the house. For every house is builded by some man, but he that built all things is God, 
And Moses verily was faithful in all of his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. Now, I want to preach a message this morning called Consider Jesus. And I want to begin with a question for each person under the sound of my voice this morning. Do you really want to live in victory in the Christian life? Now, two words I've highlighted in this question. First of all, the word want. Second of all, the the word victory. Let's start with the word victory. Uh, Do I have any competitive people in here this morning that are like me that like to experience victory? Come on now. Uh, I don't know about y'all, but I hate to lose. In fact, it's kind of like it's a character flaw because uh, when we're at home sometimes and we're playing Monopoly or Uno or something like that, my wife has to get on to me. She's like, Zach, let the kids win every once in a while. You can't win all the games. But I can't help it. I, I love to win and I don't like to lose. And, and so I tell my wife, I'm like, hey, they need to learn the, the, the difficulty of losing and, to, uh, and they need to build up some stamina so they can know how to win. And, and uh, I love to win. I hate to lose. I don't know how you are this morning. That's certainly how I am. And when it comes to the Christian life, let me just say this. We already have the victory in Jesus this morning. I want there to be no question about it when you walk out that door this morning. Uh, We are not striving for victory. We are striving from victory. We have the victory in our Savior, Jesus Christ, today. Uh, Paul said in Romans that we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And thank God we have the victory in Jesus today. Jesus said in John chapter 10 and verse number 10, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I don't know about you, but I want to experience that abundant life that's been made possible by Jesus Christ this morning. I want to, in 2024, I don't want to live just an average life. I don't want to live just an average Christian life. I want to live an abundant life that has been made possible through Jesus Christ. One author said, the life that Christ offers is not a mundane existence but an ongoing, vibrant, dynamic, and joyful experience. Life is available to all, but abundant life only comes through Jesus. So question, like, could it be said about your Christian life on January 31st of 2023 that your Christian life could be described with those adjectives, right? Ongoing, vibrant, dynamic, and joyful. Because the reality is while we have the victory in Jesus, watch me now, while we have the victory in Jesus, not all Christians are living in the light of that victory today. And I don't know about you, but I want to experience victory in the Christian life. And that's the second word. The first word is victory, that abundant life made possible through Jesus. But do you want to experience that? A couple of months ago, really back to the first of the year, my wife and I were watching a documentary on Netflix, and it was a documentary called Aftershock, Everest, and the Nepal Earthquake. And in this documentary, it, it chronicled the events on a day when there was this huge earthquake in Nepal. But before that, it kind of told the story of these climbers that had made it really their life's goal to climb to the top of Mount Everest and to, to summit Mount Everest. And one of the climbers said some pretty interesting things as we were watching this documentary. He said, the absolute least amount of money that you can spend to climb Mount Everest is $40,000. 
said most people spend somewhere between seventy dollars and $100,000 of their money to climb Mount Everest. On top of that, he said you have to go through a rigorous training of six months of your life. You have to give to, to uh, getting your body conditioned to climb Mount Everest. He said it takes time and it takes effort and really it requires a lot of pain. Why? Because these people were passionate and they were willing to discipline themselves. They were willing to pay the price to climb Mount Everest. Now we got to the end of the documentary and my wife looked at me and she's like, there's nothing in the world that I would love to do less than climb Mount Everest. She's like, I can think of a thousand things that I could spend $40,000 on instead of climbing Mount Everest. You see, you have two different illustrations here. On the one hand, you have this man who's willing to spend upwards of $100,000, give six months of his life, endure pain, endure suffering, endure the trial, but make it to the top of Mount Everest. Then you have my wife and me uh, who, who really couldn't care less about climbing Mount Everest. And the question today is, do you want to live in victory today? Do you desire to live in that abundant Christian life made possible through Jesus Christ. Now I have to tell you, that doesn't just happen by accident. Now watch this, because this is important. That doesn't just happen by accident. It requires some effort on our part. In fact, take your Bibles and go to 1 Corinthians chapter number nine. Because I want to show you a passage. We have the victory in Jesus today, but we have to put forth some effort in the sense that we have to apply ourselves. We have to, here's a word, we have to discipline ourselves if we are going to live the victorious Christian life. In fact, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 gives us a really vivid analogy that we can all relate to. He uses the idea of an athlete. He uses the idea, the analogy of an Olympian. An Olympian whose goal is to, to receive a medal, to receive a crown, if you will, to receive a reward for the effort that they put in. But Paul wants us to know in this passage that just like an Olympian doesn't go where they want to go and eat what they want to eat and do what they want to do, they live a very disciplined lifestyle in the same way if we're going to live an abundant Christian life, we are going to have to do much of the same thing and bring our body into subjection. Now look what he says, 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that you may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. The word temperate means self-controlled. Now they, he's talking about these Olympians, these physical athletes, they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I Look what Paul says, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. So throughout the New Testament and in these verses specifically, the Apostle Paul outlines a struggle that is happening in his own life and in the life of those running to obtain the prize. In fact, Paul says, in order for me to obtain the prize, I have to exhibit, uh, exhibit temperance or self-control. Paul says, in order, me to, uh, in order for me to obtain the prize, I have to keep under my body. I have to exhibit self-discipline. It's almost like Paul says there's like two versions of Paul. On this one hand over here, I have this part of me that wants to live for God and glorify him and live for his glory. But I'm just going to be honest. There's another part over here that wants to live for Paul and do what Paul wants to do and go where Paul wants to go and live how Paul wants to live. And Paul says, if I'm going to live in the victorious Christian life, if I'm going to live in victory in the Christian life, I have to take control of that man who wants to do what he wants to do and go where he wants to go. And by the way, 
Can we not all relate to Paul's struggle? Of course we can. You know why? Because number one, it's the human condition. Notice in our text, if you would, in verse, in verse number 14. We're actually going to study down through verse number 14, and I'll show you some words here that really identify the struggle that we all face in our lives on a daily basis. And I studied these words. Notice chapter 3, verse number 1. The first word is the word wherefore. Now, that's a word that tells us something, that everything that is about to be said in Hebrews chapter 3 is built upon a foundation of what has been said in Hebrews chapter 2. And so Paul's basically saying, before you get into Hebrews 3, you need to make sure you understand Hebrews number two, uh, Hebrews chapter 2. And in Hebrews chapter 2, Paul outlines for us the human condition, the human sinful condition. I want to give it to you this morning. Letter A, Paul mentions temptation, verse number 18. We see he mentions them that are tempted. Now, the word tempted simply means a solicitation to that which is evil. So within our world today, there are three basic uh, uh, enemies, if you will, that we are fighting against that are enticing us to do what we want to do and go where we want to go and live how we want to live. First of all, we have to struggle and fight against the world. And by the way, I'm not talking about the people of the world as much as I'm talking about the principles of the world. But when the Bible talks about not loving the world, it doesn't mean we shouldn't love our neighbor or our coworker or our friend. It means we shouldn't love the mindset, the mentality, the worldview that the world has. Because the, the mentality, the lifestyle of the world and the lifestyle of the Christian are not compatible. They are two very different mentalities, two different worldviews. And every day, we have to fight against this prevailing mentality that has crept, crept into our world and is prevailing in our world that we we do what we want to do, we live how we want to live, we go where we want to go, we are our own gods, and we make our own rules and follow our own rules. In fact, we live in a time of moral relativism, which says that what I say is good for me is not necessarily good for you, and what's wrong for you is not necessarily wrong for me. And I think what we understand is that there is this mentality, this worldview, this mindset that we have to fight against every single day. Not only that, we have to fight against the flesh. And by the way, that's the very real part of all of us that wants to follow the way of the world. And then there's a third thing, and that is the devil. Every day, we are struggling against the world, the flesh, and the devil. The devil, meaning the spiritual forces, which are very real this morning, that are doing everything in their power to encourage you and influence you to follow your heart, to do what's feeling good or what feels good, and to do what everybody else is doing. I mean, if you don't think that that's the mentality of our world, just look around a little bit. I mean, I love Disney. We're, we, we, will go, we, you know, we enjoy Disney and watch Disney movies and stuff like that, so I'm not here to beat down on Disney, but you know, almost every Disney movie and Disney song is follow your heart. But listen, that's the worst advice in the world. The Bible says your heart is deceitful above all things, and it's desperately wicked. Who can know it? So to follow your heart is to follow deception. And so that's this mentality. And we have this in our own selves. We have this, uh, this tendency to follow our heart and do what we want to do. And the devil is encouraging us to do that. In fact, the Bible says that temptation or that solicitation to evil is common to man. First Corinthians 10, 13. And by the way, can I just stop and say something right here? Temptation is not a sin. Here's how we know that, because verse 18 of our text says that Jesus suffered being tempted, and Jesus was without sin. It is not a sin to be tempted, uh, yet the scriptures are abundantly clear that 
To be tempted is not a sin, but it is the attempt of the world, the flesh, and the devil to lead us into sin or disobedience to God's command. So every man is tempted or solicited to do things that are wrong. But let me challenge you this morning. You know, we ought to pray. In fact, Jesus told us to pray. Listen to this. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Not only should we pray, Lord, help me not to sin today, we should pray something like this. Lord, help me not to even be led into temptation today. And you know, somebody said this, this is powerful. Sin occurs when we mishandle temptation. Sin occurs when we mishandle temptation. I'll never forget my dad telling me the story. I shared it with someone this week about this man back in the 1800s who had gotten saved and loved the Lord and was plugged into his church. This is back in the time before they had automobiles and things like that. They would ride their horses and buggies and things like that to the church. And people who rode their horses to the church would have to hitch their horses to a hitching post somewhere located by the church while they went into worship. This man got saved, loved the Lord, but in his previous life, he was an alcoholic and he struggled with alcohol addiction. And even after he got saved, he continued to struggle with that addiction and he wanted victory over that. And he went to his pastor and he said, pastor, he said, man, I love the Lord. I love the church. I'm excited about serving God. And, and, I, and I, I love everything about being a Christian, but I am struggling in this area of alcoholism and I need to get victory over this. Well, the pastor began to talk to him and try to help him understand what was going on in his life. And he said, by the way, where do you hitch your horse on Sundays when you come to church? The guy said, well, it's always been my habit. You take a right on this road and a left on this road, and I hitch my horse right there on that road. And the pastor said, wait a second. Isn't that hitching post right in front of the tavern? And the pastor, listened, the pastor said this, sounds like you need to change your hitching post. You see, sin happens when we mishandle temptation. And some, maybe some of us this morning need to change our hitching post. Maybe we've been setting ourselves up for failure. We all face temptation. And listen to me now, temptation is not a sin, but temptation can lead to sin. That's the second thing mentioned in our text. Look at verse number 17. He mentions the sins of the people. So, so rather than running from temptation or fighting against it, sin happens when we agree to the, uh, the solicitation. Sin happens when we concede in the fight of the world and the flesh and the devil, and they have their way in our lives. That's the human condition. Now watch this, because this is powerful. We all face temptation, and when we concede and give in to temptation, it leads to sin, and then sin, this is the third thing in our text, leads to bondage. Verse number 15, you'll notice that he says the children are subject to bondage. The word bondage literally means slavery. The apostle Paul said in Romans 7, 14, I am carnal. By the way, thank you, Paul, for your transparency and your authenticity. Paul's like, I am carnal. You know why I'm carnal? Romans 7, 14, sold under sin. You know what Paul was saying? I just do what comes natural to human beings. And we sin because we have a sin nature. We, the, the Bible says in Romans 5, 12, by one man, sin entered into the world. You know why you sin? You know why you have a desire to sin? Because you have a sin nature. You have a natural bent. Your heart, the Bible says, is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. You were conceived in iniquity. You were born with a heart that is bent away from God. You desire to do your own thing. We are slaves to our sin. And let me tell you something about sin. Listen, sin never satisfies. Is everybody listening this morning? 
It never does. Now, what I'm not going to tell you, young people, listen to, to me this morning. What I'm not going to say is that sin is not fun. Because you know what? If you leave church and you go out and do your own thing, it might be, in fact, it will be fun. But here's what the Bible says about sin. The pleasures of sin are only good for a season. Can I get some amens from some adults out there in the crowd this morning? Hey, listen, young people, sin has an expiration date every time. You might enjoy it for a little while, but here's the thing about sin. We are tempted, we begin to sin, and I know you're not gonna believe this, I know you don't wanna hear this, but every one of us, including me, as the man here chosen to speak the word of God to you today, I enjoy sinning. Man, I can't believe that you would say that. That's what the apostle Paul said, did he not, in Romans chapter seven? The things that I don't wanna do, I find myself doing. The things I don't wanna do, I find myself doing. This is what Paul said, oh, wretched man that I am. And we all come in behind Paul and say, amen, Paul. We know what you mean. We struggle too. We get it. But it's the human condition. We have temptation. We face temptation from the world, the flesh, and the devil. And if we concede that temptation leads to sin, that leads to bondage. But watch this. I said all that to get to this point, leading me to the last thing of this point. That leads to death. And we see that in verse number 14, where it talks about the devil who had the power of death. Now, I don't believe, in fact, I'm sure that if you study your Bible, this does not mean that the enemy, Satan, has the ability to just kill whomever he wants to kill. Obviously not, but I'll tell you what it means. Watch this. Why does the Bible say that the enemy has the power of death? I'll tell you why. Because he knows that if he can tempt us, and he knows if we'll give into the temptation, and we become bound in our sin, that that sin leads to death. And the, and the writer of the book of Hebrews wants us to understand our enemy is enticing us to sin because he knows that it leads to death. James 1.15 gets to the heart of what I'm talking about where it says this, then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. You see, it's your enemy's desire to take you captive to your sinful desires, knowing that those lusts, those desires will lead you down a fast track to death. Matthew Henry said this, would you listen to this? The pleasures of sin are and will be but short. They must end in either speedy repentance or speedy ruin. Now somebody walked out this morning from the nine o'clock service and said, pastor, thank you for preaching a message that we didn't want to hear today. Here's the thing, listen to me. If I really loved you and, I, and, and I'm driving down a road and I find out that the bridge is out, would it not be loving for me to come up on the road and wave my hands and holler and scream and yell and say, wait a second, don't go any further. Don't drive any further. The bridge is out. Or would you rather me sit over with my arms crossed on the side of the street and just let you find out for yourself what's gonna happen? Of course, it's loving to speak the truth and we wanna speak the truth in love. But friends, I'm telling you this morning, what the enemy wants to do in your life, I hope you'll listen to me now, what the enemy wants to do in your life in 2024 is tempt you and lead you to sin that leads to bondage, that leads to death. And that's just the truth of the matter. Our enemy, the devil, he hates God and he wants to detract in every way from God's glory and he will do everything within his power to do so. And that's why he wants to destroy our lives. And here's the reason, because we have a heavenly calling. That's number two. There is a human condition. 
But I'm talking to people this morning that have a heavenly calling. Look at chapter three and verse number one. So we looked at chapter two and we saw this powerful truth that temptation leads to sin, that leads to bondage, that leads to death. But look what Paul says in chapter three and verse number one. Wherefore, holy brethren, watch this, partakers of the heavenly calling. You see, while everything I said in the first part of this message about our human condition is absolutely true according to scripture, there is some really good news this morning. Here's the good news. Are you ready? Don't miss it. Jesus Christ came into this world to make a whole new set of options available for us. Man, I hope you get that in your heart today. Like the reason Jesus came into the world is so that we don't have to fall under the pressure of temptation, engage in sin that leads to bondage, that leads to death. Jesus Christ came into this world to make victory and abundant life available to us. In other words, it is not necessary, listen to me this morning, it is not necessary for you to live the average human existence that travels the path of temptation, sin, bondage, and death. If you have trusted in the finished work of Jesus Christ, if you've recognized I am a sinner, but Jesus Christ died on the cross, he was buried. He rose again so that I could be forgiven of my sins and set free from the penalty of sin and set free from the power of sin and one day be set free from the presence of sin. Friend, you can be saved today. If you would simply believe in that, and if you would, your human experience can look entirely different from the world around you. Now, what has Jesus made possible for us as human beings? Now, I'm not talking about necessarily in heaven. Of course, we're looking forward to the day when we'll be in heaven and we'll have our mansion that we sing about sometimes and we'll enjoy the streets of gold and the gates of pearl. But listen to me, I reject this notion that we have to live some sort of a defeated life right now here today. I reject this notion that Christians down here just have to kind of strive through and barely get by and, and, and live, live in constant defeat. I believe that Jesus Christ came that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. Notice what the Bible says that Jesus has done for us. Now, letter A, he has, made, he has given us life. Look what he says in verse number 14. Go back to chapter two and verse number 14. For as much then as the children are the partakers of flesh and blood, He also, Jesus himself, took part of the same. Why did Jesus do this? That through death, watch this, he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. Now the facts of the matter in the Bible are very clear and they're very grim. You and I were born sinners, we love to sin, and sin leads to death. In fact, take your Bibles and go to Ephesians chapter two because I want us to unpack this and just like, Take a second to really breathe in the oxygen of what I'm talking about this morning. I'm telling you, I believe what I said at the beginning of this message. This could change your life if you'll get your heart settled on what I'm talking about. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 1. The Bible says, In you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, I love the Apostle Paul here in Ephesians 2 because he's going to take them on a trip down memory lane. Like, do you remember who you used to be? I know who you are today, you've been quickened, you've been made alive in Christ, but do you remember who you used to be? Well, let me tell you about it, verse number two. Wherein in time past, you walked according to the course of this world. You see that? You are just following the way of the world. That's what we talked about a minute ago. According to the prince of the power of the air, you were just following the devil and his leadership in your life and his guidance in your life. 
The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. That's the flesh. Among whom also we all had our conversation in time past in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. You know what Paul's saying right here? We were in this vicious cycle where we were being tempted, we were giving in to temptation, we were sinning, we were bondage to our sin, and that was leading us down a road to death. But would you look at verse number five? I mean, come on, this ought to encourage every one of us. But God, thank you for that amen. I mean, I was hoping I'd get at least one amen right there. Like you were traveling a path to hell. You were in this vicious cycle doing what came natural to you and you were on a fast track to hell, separated from your creator, unable to live in victory, unable to live for his glory. But God, that is good news this morning. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, look at this, has quickened us together with Christ. By grace, you are saved. Alistair Begg said this, the story of a believer is I was dead, but Jesus made me alive. The word saved literally means to deliver or to protect. And Jesus Christ defeated death. Jesus Christ defeated hell. Jesus Christ defeated the grave when he paid our sin debt at the cross and rose victoriously from the grave. Friend, Jesus Christ has delivered us from the penalty of our sin. Romans 6, 23 says the wages of sin, the penalty of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, we used to sing a song when I grew up at a church in North Carolina where my dad pastors today, we'd sing that song, Paid in Full by the Blood of the Lamb. Free from sin, free to live. Now I am. And it reads on the page where my sins were written down, Paid in Full by the Blood of the Lamb. Thank God today we have resurrection power living on the inside and Christ has given us freedom from sin. Thank God. Yes, he raised us to life, but watch this, let her be. God has given us freedom. Look at verse number 15. I love this. This is gonna help somebody right here. Hang with me, we're almost done. Verse number 15, and deliver them. Jesus Christ became a man, he died on the cross to deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime, watch these last three words, subject to bondage. But notice the verse word, first word of verse number three, chapter three, verse three, or verse one, I'm sorry, chapter three, verse one. Wherefore, holy brethren, what Paul is saying, whereas we were slaves to sin prior to salvation, those who have trusted in Christ alone for their salvation can be delivered and really have been delivered from the bondage of sin and adopted into God's family. It is true to say that as sons in the family of God, we are no longer subject to bondage. Now time out right here, because some of you are like, wait a second. I know a saved person who struggles with an addiction. So you're saying that a saved person doesn't struggle? No, I'm not saying that at all. But here's what I am saying. Watch this. We might struggle with bondage, but we're not subject to bondage. Now, I know that's, that's heavy, but I believe with all of my heart, there is no sin greater than the power of our Savior. 
And I don't know what you're facing in here this morning. You know, I don't know why the Lord led me to preach this message, but it very well could be that there's somebody sitting in here under the sound of my voice today, and you're saved, and you know you're saved, but you're not living in victory, and there's something that's, that's got you in bondage today. I came to tell you this morning, based on the authority of the Word of God, you are not subject to that bondage. Through the power of our Savior, Jesus Christ, you can have victory in 2024 over that sin that is currently ruining your life. Amen. Praise God. In fact, the apostle Paul said this in Romans 6. Write it down, Romans 6, 6 and 7. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. So you see this? The the human condition is we face temptation, we give into it, we sin, we face bondage in sin, and we ultimately find out that it leads to death. But the holy calling of Jesus Christ on our life is that we get to experience life from Jesus, watch this, that brings freedom into our life, that allows us, number C, letter C, to be living a life of holiness. In fact, we notice in verse number 11, he says, we are being sanctified. And Jesus is he that sanctifieth. And then in chapter three, verse number one, Paul refers to these people as holy brethren. Now, what we don't want, watch me now. I'm done right here. I'll be just just another minute or two. What we don't want is to become a bunch of Pharisees that create our little checklist of how everybody else is supposed to live and things they're supposed to do. And they have to meet up, you know, meet up with my level of, of spirituality. And if you don't check all my boxes, then you're not spiritual. We don't want a bunch of Pharisees running around here with that mentality. But I will say this, we need to be careful and guard our hearts against carnality or or being satisfied with worldliness. We are called to holiness, that is to live a life that is set apart, that is different, that is peculiar from the sinful ways of the world. Here's what I'm saying, let me be clear. It is not God's will for you to live under constant temptation. I know that that's something we all face. Again, temptation is not a sin, but continually giving into temptation, living in a life of sin and bondage that leads to death. God has saved you for more than that. He saved you so you could live a life of freedom and and live a life of holiness. Listen to this. Jesus Christ became a partaker of human nature so that we could become partakers of the divine nature, holiness. And by the way, I don't mean sinless perfection. I'm not saying there's ever gonna come a time when we arrive and we kind of say, okay, everybody can become like me because I don't sin anymore. I'm not saying that, but listen to me. Watch this. While we can never become sinless, we ought to sin less. Whereas the world is traveling a path of temptation, sin, bondage, and death, my prayer is that in 2024, people will look at Bible Baptist Church and see people that are traveling a path of life, freedom, and holiness that leads to number four, victory. That's the word we started with today, right? Do you really want to live in victory. And maybe you're sitting here this morning and you say, Zach, I really would love nothing more than to experience those things you just mentioned. I would love nothing more in 2024 than to experience life and freedom and holiness and live in victory, but I don't know how to do it. And by the way, all across the world today, religion has complicated how we live in victory in 2024. 
It's like, if you'll keep this checkbox and you'll keep this list of things, you'll experience victory and people try their best and they come up empty every time. Hey, look at me, I'm done right here. Two words to experience victory in 2024, are you ready? Consider Jesus. That's it. Not 10 steps, not eight steps, two words, consider Jesus. Look at what he says in verse number one. This is where we see the honored Christ, chapter three, verse number one. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, look what he says, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. Now I have a question for you. Have you considered Jesus this week? And maybe you need to know what the word consider means because I got my concordance out and I looked it up and it means to observe fully. Have you observed fully Jesus Christ? And more specifically in the context, have you observed more fully the gospel of Jesus Christ, the love of God in Jesus Christ, and the impact that that has had on your life? We are to live gospel-centered, gospel-focused lives, which means that we recognize we have a human condition, we struggle, that's a reality. We are all, you know, we, we struggle with sin, we struggle with temptation, we struggle with bondage, but what we recognize as we consider Jesus is that through Christ, we have experience life and freedom. We can experience holiness and victory. I'll close with this illustration, but I think it's relevant right here. My, my children for the past three years have done homeschooling and they did this homeschooling through a Becca that was like DVD. They would watch DVDs or watch, um, they would watch a, a, like a live stream or whatever of a, of a class. Here's one thing I noticed about my kids is Sometimes I could just look at them and see their eyes were on the screen. Come on, parents, y'all know what I'm talking about right here. Like, their eyes are on the screen, but they're a million miles away from what's happening in that classroom. And sometimes what I would do is I would walk up and I'd hit the pause button and I'd say, hey, tell me what your teacher just said. Um, um, um. You know why? They had their eyes on the screen but they weren't considering what the teacher had to say. And I'm gonna tell you something, and I'm closing with this. There are a lot of Christians, I'm just telling you, there are a lot of Christians who have their eyes on the screen. And you know what I mean by that? They're faithful to church on Sunday morning, they're plugged into a group, but they're not observing fully Jesus Christ. And I'm just here to tell you, victory is available to you. I'm talking to you, I'm talking to you. Victory is available to you in 2024. How can we do it? By considering Jesus Christ. I'll close with this. Alexander McLaren said, the word consider refers to an awakened interest, a fixed and steady gaze. He went on to say that considering Jesus is an all-important exercise of mind and heart without which there can be no vigorous Christian life and which I fear is woefully neglected by the average Christian today. To live in the continual contemplation of Jesus, our pattern and our redeemer, is the secret of all Christian vitality and vigor. There is no victory in the Christian life apart from considering 